Hey guys, welcome back again to Life of Education's podcast. Uh, a little bit different lineup today. We have Jamie sitting in for Caroline, who Caroline's away in Australia at the moment. And uh, Jamie is part of the team here at Life Education. So welcome, Jamie, to your thank you very much. Thanks for co-hosting. Me. Apologies for the uh, the downgrade on Caroline, but we'll see yeah. how we go on. It's a little bit different looking at this compared to looking at Caroline, but I hope so. It's okay. We won't talk about who's better. Um, and we were at Lee Grantham. That's Lee right. Grantham is a marathon runner, ultra marathon runner competitor from the UK. That's right. Yeah, elite athlete, Great Britain team member, runs for England. Sponsored Nike athlete and uh, living between Thailand and uh, Spain. Spain, that's yeah. right. Yep. So we had a little back and forth on Instagram where we requested you on your story, and you said our people will talk to your people, and here we are. Our people have spoken to his people, and he's here with us in Dubai from Thailand, like Jamie said. Um, anyway, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit, your background, and how you ended up becoming an ultra runner? Yeah. So I ran track and field as a kid and did pretty much every sport you can possibly think of um and and then 2008 2009 i took a sabbatical did some cycle touring in southeast asia and just re like refound the love for endurance and then started running again uh and then from sort of 2009 2010 to 2017 i was able to make the england team for the marathon and then the year after the Great Britain team for ultramarathon running, so 100k uh, in the World Championships. So yeah. So how do you go from just running around to then doing the marathon, to then prepping enough time and setting enough time aside to do an ultra, and then getting on the GB team? Yeah, good question. Um, you've, I suppose it's a question of how much you want it. Yeah, as with anything in life, and so. When I st- when I had that sabbatical, I went cycle tour, and it was sort of like a gap where I could really think about what I, t- I wanted to do with my life. And and I've said this quite a lot of times, but it still rings true. It's when primary school teachers asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I never said I wanted to be a headhunter. I never said I wanted to be a recruiter. Yeah. Or what I was working in for twelve years, it was always I wanted to be a footballer. Yeah. And I was terrible at football. For who? <laughs> for Oldham Athletic. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah yeah. Biggest biggest team in the UK. And, uh, biggest team in Oldham. Yeah. Exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Not even the biggest team in Oldham. <laughs> uh, and and um, and the next was always a runner. I always wanted to be a runner. And so the fact that I can do that now and do it professionally is really good. But the journey from sort of having that sabbatical, realizing that I, that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to be a professional runner. And going for my, f- I remember going for my first run in Thailand. I'm thinking, I just run for 10k, you know, you know, go go for an hour run or whatever. Getting 400 meters down the road after cycling 220, 230k a day to cycle tour from Bangkok to Singapore, having loads of fitness but not specific running fitness. Getting 400 meters down the road and thinking, gee, gee, the, Jesus, that's how much fitness I've lost. To right, okay, now I've. I've got something that I really sort of like, I really want to get good at. And I know I've been good at it before, so the progress curve is going to be steep. And then thinking, right, if somebody else can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And that's, I think, pretty much about anything. Like, I don't think I'm better than somebody, but I just don't think I'm worse than somebody or something. So you said that you did whatever, cycling. What was it? What did you just breeze past there as if that was nothing? <laughs> yeah, so... 220, 2.30 a day, just casual. Just cycling. Just cycling. Yeah, yeah so... I was living in Thailand, so I, meant, I was meant to be there for a few weeks and 
you ever been to Southeast Asia, that's what everybody does, goes for a few weeks and ends up staying for years. So that's what I did and and then decided to buy a bike, sort of do some cycling and then thought, okay, look at the map. Right, I'll go from maybe Bangkok to Hua Hin, which is about 250k. And then you look at the map and you just think, that's only about that much more to go to Phuket. I'll just go to Phuket, it's a thousand kilometers. So I'll do it in like 10 days, 100k days, quite easy. And then he's like, oh, Malaysia's just there, yeah? And then you're like, oh, okay, it'd be cool to cross the border with your passport and your bike. <laughs> you had your passport with you? Yeah, passport, credit card, bit of money. So you were prepared for this? Yeah, I was prepared. <laughs> I'd prepare. I'd, tra- I'd, I'd, I'd train for a good three weeks, yeah? Okay. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and this is, I suppose, again, this is part of ultra running. Yeah? You have to be delusional. You have to be a bit wild and a bit crazy to think that it's possible because everything is possible. It's just a case of putting it into small chunks, buying it off. And then I looked at Malaysia, it was like, okay, just go to KL, that'd be good. Bangkok to KL would be quite cool. I'd be like, but there's another country just there, like two centimeters, three centimeters on the map. Just ride those three centimeters, yeah, and get to Singapore. And then my friend was having a New Year's Eve party in Singapore on the 31st of, must've been like 2009, 2010. So he said, if you can get her in 10 days, you can come to that party. And so <laughs> rather than like take my time over 20 days, decided to do it quickly in 10 days. And so I got there in 10 days. What was that per day average? So literally 20, 220K a day. What's so the total distance? 2,250 kilometers or something like that. Biking, biking man on man has just finished here hmm. with a thousand K in four or five days. The good guys are doing it in four and the amateurs are doing it in five or six days. Yeah. We did double that in the same so way. You did double that in double the time, which is actually even more difficult because by the end of it, you'd expect those last few to take longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah cause exactly. Because the endurance you're piece. so tired. Yeah, I mean, uh, the amount of stories we've got along the way is just some of, some of them are hilarious, like hallucinating, sort of like staying in the best hotels for ten pounds a night, staying in the worst hotels you could possibly imagine for three pounds a night, staying on a concrete bed that seems like the most luxury you've seen all day because you're in that much sort of like, you, you're so tired, like just looks like a great hotel, yeah? yeah. <laughs> and there's the amount of lizards in the room and you have to tape up the curtains because there's no windows in the in, in the hotel room, that sort of stuff. And seeing tarantulas along the way, uh, seeing just crazy stuff. And what just were you hallucinating and seeing? Uh, a lot of insects, a lot of snakes. Oh, uh, that's the cause worst. Because sometimes they'd over, <laughs> overshoot a town and you think, okay, there's a ho- you must be a hotel in that town. It wasn't. It wasn't. There wasn't so much Booking.com, and, and obviously in these like very remote towns in the south of Thailand, it's not so easy just to get out your phone and look for Booking.com and find something. So you have to get to the town and hope there's a hotel. And then once the sun goes down, my lights were to be seen, not to see. So yeah. so I would cycle the worst day was like three hours in the dark and then you can just hear something coming behind your vehicle and hope that it misses you but then you've got jungle sounds that are like if you've ever been in the jungle at night it's like and it's and then you you know there's big yeah there's big stuff in there as well yeah so (laughs) but yeah it's all good fun it was a good story and you made it for the party made it for the party yeah made it for the party and didn't make it out on the night out which was, uh, didn't make it past 12 o'clock, so got, was so tired. Got yeah. to the party and slept. <laughs> got to the yeah. party and slept <laughs> in the nicest bed you could possibly imagine. It felt amazing after all that time. Yeah. And then did you go home after? Stayed, stayed a few days and then flew back to uh, Bangkok and then went to Ohio. Yeah. Cop out, mm. fly back. Yeah. yeah. I was considering going back because there's a lot of headwind on the way. So I thought we'd go back to be really easy. But by yeah. that point, I'd slit 
the inside of my leg. So, I mean, this is not a nice story, but like every single pedal stroke hurt because there's a slit in between, like on, on, literally on my gro- groin. Like it's a chafing kind of skin Worse break. than that, like, a, like an actual slit. Like the skin, like, like it's skin come apart. Completely come apart, yeah. So I had to go in the shop and at first tissues weren't working because they were getting too sweaty. So I had to literally buy a Tampax. Right. Put it in my shorts and didn't really help, but psychologically for the last sort of two days, it was every single pedal stroke hurt. But, uh, yeah. I suppose you don't have a choice at that stage. No, you don't have a choice, no. You've got to keep going. And, then, and also, the funny st- another funny story was uh, when you get onto the Malaysian motorway, it's like one motorway from the Thai border all the way to Singapore. It's the same motorway. And at first, it's great because every 100 meters is marked. You think, great, 100 meters, 200 meters through. And then after 3K, like, don't look at that sign because it's killing you, right? It's killing you. And once I'd got to the bottom of Malaysia, I was about 50K from the border of, of Singapore, police pulled me over and said, you're not allowed to drive on this road. <laughs> yeah. Like, where have you come from? It's like, Thai border at the top. You've been on this road the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You've got to go around. <laughs> Did they make you go around? Yeah, so maybe go around like an extra 30K. So I got an escort to the next junction, which was about 8K. And then they showed me the way. They were really cool. But it's like at that point when I'm like, okay, it's three o'clock. The party starts at eight. I've got to be there. So stuff like that is just hilarious looking back. But at the time, it's just Yeah. <laughs> and so after that, you decided to no more cycling. You're going to run. Kept cycling uh, whilst I had my bike, but then just adding running on top of it. Uh, so so that, was, that, that journey was a catalyst to where you are now, really, in terms of the, this part of your 100%, career. 100%. Oh. So if you, if you, like before this, uh, I was playing rugby. I've lived in quite a few countries. So I was playing rugby when I lived in Spain. I was playing football when I lived in Norway and Sweden. Um, and then I was just with the rugby. I'm, I'm five foot ten on a good day yeah and like to, uh, on, a, on the wing I was quick compared to the bigger guys but I needed to build muscle so I was in the gym a lot so I was in the gym once twice a day and I became you sort of don't realize it when you're bodybuilding but you became really quite quite big and and like low body fat and then looking back it was just uh, you know I suppose bodybuilding now I look at it like it's a lot a lot of it's fueled by is it you know it's positive people are doing something active but a lot of it's fueled by vanity and insecurity yeah. if it's not necessarily leading to a sport. So I look back on that period that I wasn't like I wasn't doing it necessarily just for the sport. It was also to compete against other guys in yeah, the gym yeah. to be the g- biggest guy in, in town sort of thing. And that's just negative energy. You know? As far as I'm concerned, like going to the gym and just dumping energy and not using it specifically for a sport, it's not where you want to be. So I was 85 kilograms and now I'm 62, so I've lost right. 23 kilograms, and most of that came off in the first sort of nine months of starting running, yeah. Yeah, how did you get your head around that if you've been going to the gym to get bulked up? Just a totally different buzz. So, like, you go to the gym and you, f- you felt the pump, right? So there's, there's something from that. You feel good, you feel sore afterwards, and then, like, your muscles rebuilding, the, f- the fibers rebuilding, that's, that's all a great feeling. And, and also, a- aesthetically, like, looking in the mirror and thinking, right, okay, I'm improving in this area, but you sort of, your perspective is off because you're looking in the mirror too much, yeah? Whereas now it's endorphins, it's, okay, it's measurable because it's distance and time. Um, and it's competition. More tangible competition. Total, totally more tangible competition. So if you win a race, you've won a race. Yeah. You're the first to cross the line. Whereas if, if I was to compete in bodybuilding, or anybody competes in bodybuilding, that's subjective. It's quite it's subjective, yeah? yeah, for sure. So it's totally, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I love that. And if you look at like Paul Newman, who is a 
uh, you know, an actor and then a racing car driver. He wanted to be remembered as a racing car driver because he loved that in Hollywood it was critical and subjective how, how good his films were. But the first to cross the line yeah. was the winner. And that's, that's how I view and I, and it's the competition that I love. I really love it, yeah. So, how long have you been running now then? Like, what's the, what's the, how long have you been doing it to this day? It's in nine years. This is my ninth year. Yeah. yeah. And what did your career look like from the time you wanted to write, I'm going to do it, to get to the stage now where you're looking at the ultras? Yeah, so I moved from Thailand to Sweden um, and pretty much said that, okay, one day I'm going to be a professional runner. And my girlfriend at the time was like, no, you're not. Look at the size of you. <laughs> you idiot. Like, have some perspective this right. is when you were still 85 kilograms this is when I was still big and I'd probably lost I was probably like down to 77 or something like, like, like look at every other every other Kenyan African on the start line is 55 kilograms mm. the best British guys are 60 to 65 like it's just not possible you you know you're not thinking straight so I was like okay I'm going to prove you wrong because if somebody tells you you can't do something <laughs> that's the massive fuel so from 2010 then I, I got quick I got very very quickly got decent right so i did uh my first race was 10k buper 10k in manchester did 40 minutes 39 something so broke 40 minutes for 10k which is which is decent but obviously nowhere near where i'm at now and i but i, re I remember that first race and i remember all the feelings that i had from being a kid doing track and field being on the start of a 1500 meter race or being on the start of a cross-country race all those butterflies all those looking around thinking who looks tidy today who looks in shape i've got to beat all these guys and then me being a 40 k, 40 minute 10k runner on the start line of pupa 10 pupa uh, 10k when you've got like highly gabrielesi mo farah looking around thinking you got to beat these guys today yeah <laughs> and then stopping after 3k because i'm knackered because i'm completely <laughs> not, not learned how to pace myself yet not learned all these things and then the next I race. I had the same problem on my recent first 10k. I've heard, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> next, we're going to talk <laughs> about your running career. Yeah. <laughs> really it's, it's, it's a fledgling career. We're right at the beginning. <laughs> There's a little bit of work to do for sure. But, but then the next race, some, a friend of mine in Spain said, okay, well, if you do that, if you can run 10k, you run 50k. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean 50k? It goes up to 42k, doesn't it? Marathon's the longest you run. So then I heard about ultra running and uh, and somebody somebody basically bet me, uh, I bet you can't do this race where you start at city level in a place called Granada where I now live and you finish on the fourth highest mountain in Spain called Valletta and it's 3,400 meters. So you go up 2,700 meters in 50K, average gradient of six, 7%. Um, I was like, it just, doesn't, it just doesn't sound possible, but I'm game, yeah. If somebody bets you, you're in, yeah. And, um, and then so training for that in Sweden, which is flat as a pancake, having to be in the gym on a treadmill at an incline and just that sort of like the, the, the mentality of it. Okay, I've got a goal and if I don't do the training, I'm going to get found out on race day. Yeah. That's where I really figured it out. And, um, and then my sole purpose was to finish the race under the cutoff time of eight hours and I did it in five hours, 18. Really? Yeah. 100K? Uh, 50K. Okay, 50. So I just made that sound terrible now, Keith. Like, it was 50K, not 100K. Well, <laughs> well what did you do then? <laughs> Five hours, 18. Well, I did 42K in 4.44, and I was dying. <laughs> yeah, it's probably, but the, it's, not, it's not pain, it's suffering, yeah? So it's temporary. Yeah, it's not pain. You're right, it's not pain. Mm. It's... Uh, and it's the type of thing that once you're there, you're on it. It's mm. on. It's like, I'm, I have to finish this race. 
I'm here now. Like I'm not stopping. Yeah. Because I did a just quick story. I did the Dubai Marathon in 2016, and grossly underprepared for it. Didn't completely underestimate it. Like put my hand up, cramped up about 29k, and uh, walked to the end of the the track. Got the medal. Yeah, you did it. Five hours 37 it was. And I was like, well, at least you finished it. At least you finished it. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, but if you know the course, you start at one point, you go all the way down the road, you do a U-turn and you come back. That meant my car was at the start line, which is where <laughs> the finish line was. <laughs> so I had no option. It wasn't like a circle where at in the middle mm. I just yeah. finished and I cut across mm. the streets. Mm. My car is that way. So I either go left <laughs> and walk off the course or just walk all the way down the course and get to my car. <laughs> so it was a case of, yeah, I'm definitely going to So literally this. getting home is your motivation. Yeah, it was <laughs> like, yeah, because that was it. Because the thing was, I'm thinking, the only way I'm going to crash out of this is if I sit on the footpath, yeah. you know? If like you stop, cramp the, up. The, the van or the ambulance or the moped picks me up. I was like, I'm not that guy. I'm going to walk. I'll hobble. I'll do whatever. Complete cramp, the whole lot. Everything was gone. Um, worst experience ever. But even before I got to the finish line, I was like, right, I'm going to have to do this again. This was a complete failure. Mm. So then, fast forward a couple of years later, booked again, ended up going to Sri Lanka a month before the event, which I shouldn't have done. It was a New Year period. Came back two weeks out, dropped to the 10K. And then like we briefly spoke about before, one of my clients booked on to the Vietnam Marathon. And then that was like, right, well, if you're doing it, I'll do it. And we've spoken about it before on the podcast, but we actually passed each other mm. on that track, mm. which yeah. was our first meeting. Yeah, I met you after, didn't I, for the first yeah. time? I saw you be, I mean, distinguishable look, very... very Why is that? <laughs> anybody listening, get out your uh, phone and look. What's your Instagram just over there? Jungle.vip. Jungle. There you go, you'll see what... I don't think I'm a... Vi by the way, I don't think I'm a VIP over the jungle, which is a misconception. It's from the Jungle the Book. Jungle Book, the song. So I'm calling myself a monkey, but people think I'm quite arrogant because I'm Jungle VIP, which is... You know. Double-edged sword, isn't it? You can go either way. <laughs> but as soon as you read Jungle VIP, you start singing the song. Yeah, for me, yeah. But yeah. for a lot of people out there, you get some nasty... You know, it's painful to receive these direct messages. <laughs> you know, it hurts. But it's not pain, it's just uncomfortable. It's just suffering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, so then talking about now, like, wh what do you when you're on the, the trail, 100K, at the start, you're feeling great, mm -hmm. and at the end, you're feeling great. Mm -hmm. How much of the middle are you suffering for? Yeah, I mean, if you absolutely, n I've nailed 100k, yeah, and I've done, I've I've run over 100k, and I've run two serious uh, 100ks and flat, and this year hopefully I'll run another one, if not next year for the World Championships. And I've, so I feel as if I've nailed one. Like I've gone in with a plan. You ha there's not. It's not a case of like I've run marathons, and thought, okay, I'll run at a certain pace. Like two weeks ago, I did Chiang Mai marathon, and um, it's like, okay, I'll run at a certain pace. But if somebody's racing, somebody's ahead, I'm not going to let them get ahead. I'll race the race instead. So you you don't have to stick to your plan because it's only a marathon. You can't do that in a hundred k. You've got to stick to what you're capable of, and you've got to you've got to know from the training what you are capable of. So it's things like heart rate, sort of how to take nutrition along the way, how to keep your salt levels and your hydration at the right level. Because if something goes wrong, even with fifteen k to go, you know it's it's not possible to get to the finish line. I've seen you see it in Ironman a lot, where you, you see people crawling across the finish line because mentally they've shut down the body. Is, the, the mind has told the body it's no longer available to, it's no longer able to get 
200 meters to the to the end after running sort of for eight nine hours right so you can't you can't sort of not have a plan so i planned to run four minute kilometers which would have been 640 okay. and then 642 so it was just the perfect race if you like and that's still a fifth sixth fastest british time of all time okay. so that the, that's another great thing about running it's like you're not just competing against the guys on the start line yeah you're competing against everybody from all time um which is pretty yeah which is pretty cool i think roger bannister exactly yeah. yeah 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 exactly and so now we've got the in the 100k you've got the japanese guys that are super strong the americans always bring like a strong team the south africans have got the fastest ultra race in the world that i'm doing this year in june which is called comrades marathon um and uh 90k uphill and in south africa it's prize money involved when there's prize money involved uh, the africans show up and they they bring the best guys yeah 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 we saw actually when we were walking across the the start finish line of the 10k yeah the fans and the crowd going Insane, crazy actually. as big as the england fans at the world cup yeah absolutely much, much, loving it. much more prominent than i thought it would be yeah they were grandstands, the whole shebang. Flags. Also. They were obviously when they're it was super early in the day, in the morning as well. Mm-hmm. When the when the lead guys were finishing two hours in, we were only getting started on our side of the road. Um, so then, like, what 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 kind of message would you want to give out there for people thinking about doing marathons? Because it's I've done it and I did it because an old friend of mine, long time ago, just described his experience of a Sydney marathon in the mid 2000s. I thought that's something I'm gonna have to do someday just to see what that's like. Yeah. So that's why I did it, which might be a bit loopy, but loads of my friends are like, how can you ever consider doing that? Running so boring, running like it's just, how can you, how are your knees? How oh, my knees would go. Another friend of mine tells me he'd lose too much weight mm. if, he, if he tried to do it and he shouldn't <laughs> be losing weight because he's a professional, yeah personal trainer so he should know his diet yeah but we won't mention his name yeah um <laughs> so like what how do you combat that you must get that when you're chatting to people yeah i think you know people will find an excuse if somebody doesn't want to do something they're not going to do it yeah so if you've ever spent time around gyms and personal trainers in january it's packed full of people yeah come february march empty again it's great so you have to take that initial motivation and turn it into habit we formed habits when we were kids and unless you replace that one of those habits with something more positive or a different habit um you're not gonna be able to do it so unless you initially take turn that initial motivation which is usually just 30 to 40 days of okay focused effort i'm gonna go to the gym it's gonna be first thing in the morning or set, set time you're not gonna be able to do it so it's the same with running it's like and have small small goals initially so a lot of people jump into the marathon and then they'll do the training and realize that, yeah, they do have a knee problems yeah. sort of thing. Because there's certain things with running, it's just like a car. I mean, the very, very basics of it are, if your toe, ankle, knee, and hip is not lined up when you're hitting the ground, and you're not hitting the ground a certain part of your foot, then like a car that's, the camber is off slightly, then one of the tires is gonna wear down faster. So the if you take that on to run a marathon, and you're talking like 100, 200 repetitions, hitting the ground every single minute four three four five hours you're gonna have issues yeah so my advice would simply be to if you're gonna get into it make it as fun as possible first of all so you want to make it fun so it's sustainable long term and head for 5k just get into a 5k i don't know if you have park runs in in the middle east but park running is the biggest sport and initiative uh that the world has ever seen that was 
born in I think sort of 12, 13 years ago in the UK. So free park run every every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Um, it's now in I think 800 parks around the world, right. and you just register online, barcode, print the barcode off, laminate it, turn up, and it gives you a time and it tells you how many park runs you've done, what your fastest time is. Then you're constantly competing against yourself and everybody else. Just get into that because a it's going to give you a great circle of friends that are into the same sort of stuff as you. Um, b you're going to all the knowledge is there that you need, yeah? yeah. So you're asking people that are better than you how you do certain things, how you train in a certain way, what you eat, how you fuel the night before. All those all those questions can be answered on on Saturday morning for you. And then once you sort of running two or three times a week can build up from there and then move to 10k or move to half marathon there's no need to r- jump into a marathon i've spoke to plenty of people that hate running because they've suddenly said okay it happens a lot in the corporate world because it's okay i'm going to tick this box i'm going to run a marathon and they'll train for it and then get injured and they'll be like okay i've lost my love for running and and so that i'm never going to do running again because that's bad experience yeah, yeah. what's and that rule that they have where they say if you do something consecutively for a certain period of time it becomes habit is it 22 days or something like that? yeah Think, 20, think about 22 that. days if you do something over and over again for 22 days eventually it just becomes habit and then you're in and just so easing yourself into it in that in that manner rather than just going boom and going all in with a marathon yeah, totally totally or a 10k let me yeah. yeah how much practice did you do before your 10k yeah zero 21 days, zero. 21 days. I had complete confidence in my youth yeah <laughs> yeah Jamie for those listening Jamie joined us on the day that Caroline did her 10k as part of her recovery goals on her checklist after her accident she had that on the list she wanted to do that again so Jamie Jamie and I joined her and kept her company and trucked along with her an hour and just over an hour just over an hour not a <laughs> nowhere near an hour and ten minutes or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that was I mean look those those 10k's are good fun They're, it's a big challenge for a lot mm. of people to do that mm. just the monotony of running for over an hour for people is the biggest challenge yeah this one thing that keeps coming up is the motivation side. Like you've you mentioned on several occasions, like a recurring theme of being competitive. If someone challenges you to do something, you say, yeah, I can. Yeah. Like if someone says you're not going to be a runner, you become a runner. Yeah. You can't cycle to, to Singapore, you do it. Mm-hmm. Where does that come from? Where, where does that drive come from? Because a lot of listeners will, will on the surface go, cool, sounds good, but you're running at an elite level. Yeah. Um, but you started off running for school around paddy fields. Yeah. So where does that that drive come from to spur you on because that's you know, that competitiveness that comes through yeah it's so apparent yeah 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 uh so uh, suppose like growing up um came from a town just outside manchester called denton and uh my dad was a footballer and my sisters both at oldham but no, it was it wasn't it was pretty good. It wasn't it wasn't bad enough for Oldham. But <laughs> my sisters both played for England at sport. So younger sister played uh, cricket for England. Older sister played basketball for England. And my dad was just whatever sport we wanted to play, he would just take us wherever, anytime. Whether it was I mean badminton, table tennis, football, rugby, cross country running, sports that you're terrible at and sports that you you know naturally good at and obviously you levitate towards the the ones that you're good at so then uh and he was always like with football i started when i was really young playing football four or five years old and he was always like it's not about uh it's not about how talented you are it's the first of the ball so i was a right back so i was when i was when i was five years old i looked like two or three years old i was tiny and so he was like it's the first of the ball it's who wants it most and it's just that as a mindset whether you're in 
corporate world or sports world or any world yet, who wants it most? It's just that. And, and even now on the start line, you, st- you go on a start line of an elite marathon and everyone is so tense and nervous because they've just spent 12 to 16 weeks preparing for it. Yep. I'm having the time of my life because that's the most exciting, <laughs> de- that's the most exciting day of, of that three-month period for me. And when I was a kid, I... I remember like going on school holidays, going knocking on people's doors like, you know, it's, it's Jamie coming out now, you know, it's Mike coming out now, because we're gonna go put the cricket nets up and it takes more than one person to put the cricket nets up. And like, it's not even, he's not even up yet. He's not even had breakfast yet. It's like, <laughs> come on, let's, come on, let's get on it, it's sunny. So I don't have to knock on any doors on a marathon morning. Everybody's already there, <laughs> yeah? yeah? So um, everyone's super nervous. And I just feel really chilled because it takes me one question to think, right, okay, I'm in the zone. It's like, how much do you want it? And, um, and that goes for anything, any like music as well. Like Noel Gallagher says it a lot. Like, how much do you really want it? Like, see even his songs, yeah? So the first of the ball is just a perfect lesson. So competitiveness in our, in our family was not a negative thing, like an ugly thing. It was just a game. It was just fun. Yeah. Total fun. Okay. And, and when you take that as well to the corporate world, so I went after uh, college to work in recruitment just mm. I did lots of terrible jobs for a recruitment agency like working warehouses all sorts of terrible jobs which I feel is a great lesson and and then they offered me a job as a training recruiter and then it's okay the better you are and the harder you work and the more you analyze your performance the more you get rewarded for me that made sense that's sport yeah meritocracy um, yeah total so um so then I then I thought over the next sort of 10 10 years okay I must be really money motivated then because I'm good at this and it was never that I was never money motivated you love the game to me. just love the game just yeah so if him over him if the guy over the other side of the office is going to do four deals that month I'm yeah. going to try and do five yeah and and if she's up to this over there right I'm, I'm going to see what she's up to and going to sort of do what whatever so constantly doing. learning constantly taking info how to get ahead how to better yourself how to win totally yeah and and you know we live in an age where we have more information available to us than ever before. Absolutely. Yet yeah. we're we're dumber than ever before, right? Yeah. And so, if you want to learn how to run fast, like somebody talked about on YouTube, somebody it's there, it's there on the internet for you. So it's very easy to quickly follow that curve and, and use your brain. Yeah. How much of that then do you think is genetic versus learned? Yes, yeah, so behavioural from from, from from your environment, from your parents, because you mentioned about all your sisters being prominent in their sports yeah your dad a prominent sportsman way off into a topic that i have no expertise in whatsoever but just keen on your opinion because for me there's obviously a yeah a link there too yeah i mean obviously genetically as you can see i'm a specimen you know so uh (laughs) yeah (laughs) 62 kilos (laughs) so so there there is i mean there's you you there's something in your vo2 max is, is is inherent right so i have a high vo2 max so that's that's there already. So when I'd not done any running before high school, uh, I'd I'd run lots in football and whenever it was like any any sport, as I've said, but I can't remember ever being in primary school and going to a class and and studying anything. It seems as if I spent my whole primary school on the school field or the school playing uh, con- concrete playing fields, whatever, doing other sports with with my mates. Yeah. So when 
it was the second week. I remember it very, very clearly. It was the Monday on the second week of term. There's 180 kids, and it was two laps of what we called the paddy fields in Audenshaw. I went to Audenshaw School, great sports school. Um, and I won it by about 10 minutes. Like, I, just didn't, I didn't have a clue. I had a rugby shirt on, football boots on. Didn't have yeah. a clue, but it was like, okay, I've got to beat all these people around me because that's the game, yeah? Um, and it was like, okay. And then from there, because it was so early on in the year, then it did me a big favour with all the sports teachers because it was a very competitive sport. And yeah, yeah, we had a lot of guys who went on to play, like have scholarships with football teams around the country. Uh, very, very talented sporting school and lots of teachers that are still inspirational characters for me now. Um, so they helped nurture that then and sort of got me involved in fell running, cross country running, track running. And and yeah, yeah. So does that answer the question? Yeah. One of the things you said there, you said you show up to the start line and you're buzzing, excited, chatting. That's pretty clear from your social media as well. Like you're 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 a bit more lively than I. I don't follow Mo Farah and I don't follow Haile Gabriel Selassie on any of their social medias. Maybe that's also indicative of their what they're portraying, what they're putting out there as representing the stereotype of an endurance sort mm. of athlete. But that's something that you obviously value or you enjoy, and you yeah. you, you actively do that yeah um well listen i mean you know for me if you think of exciting sports like i think of ufc ufc is obviously killing it at the moment yeah because it's fascinating because at any moment something crazy can happen yeah you can have a great fight against a mediocre fight it could be a mismatch but that guy can get a lucky shot in right so it's fascinating pay-per-view figures and the, the watchers are you know through the roof it's a sport that's doing really well football will never be without money, yeah? yeah. Everyone's always, because so many things can happen, right? With running, like, to watch a marathon, even for me as an athlete, it's tedious, yeah? I don't watch it because it's tedious, yeah? I want to know the result. And, you know, I loved watching Eloid Kipchoge break the world record. I was at, I was at the Berlin Marathon, I watched it back, and that's great. I loved watching Breaking 2 Project, which was a Nike um, thing on Netflix, uh, which was amazing because it got you into the mindset. But the point is that running is not an interesting sport to watch. And if you think about 100K, that's even more boring. As interesting as it Three gets. Three times the pain. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Suffering. So, suffering. To, so it, it, it can be like 40 laps of 2.5K loop, yeah? It can be 10 laps of 10K. And so it's not interesting. So how do you make that sport interesting? And it's through characters. And the sport has like insanely talented people, like people who can endure the suffering, who can plan. Um, and so for me, it's all characters. It's like, you know, why do you remember Muhammad Ali so much? Because, not because of, he's obviously a great boxer, yeah. but it's more about stuff that he did outside the rink, like the stuff he did in the Vietnamese war, the stance he took, and the, the, the sacrifice he took for three years outside the ring, giving the belts back. It's characters uh, like Ert and Senna, you know, not, yeah. not necessarily the best in the world, but just just amazing out, outside um and yeah you know you watch football and you'll see sort of match of the day and there'll be an interview after the match how did the match go and it could you could they literally say the press same thing totally yeah, yeah. You, you press a tape recorder credit to the other team they played very well we knew we were up for a tough fight yeah insert op opposition absolutely name. just well pr'd done. yeah completely well, controlled well stay on these three messages yeah don't be yourself don't say what you think yeah That's don't answer but the that question. happens a lot in most sports things yeah. there's so much there's so much um control around uh, brand perception and image yeah that is it's kind of part of the part do of the you game. think about your image uh 
That well, that's the point. Yeah, I mean, you 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 have to you you have to remember characters. Like, look at Snooker, right? With without Ronnie O'Sullivan, what would Snooker be? Alex Higgins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Alex Higgins, Jimmy yeah. White. Ronnie, o Ronnie O'Sullivan. Who, was, who was better than Jimmy White at the time? Stephen Henry. Stephen Does anyone remember Stephen Henry? Yeah. Not really. Dull. Steve Davis. Douglas Dishwater. Yeah. So, so, yeah so, so you have to think about that and think, okay, with him running and like the, the budgets, like I can name like a lot of top class Olympic athletes who have been to the Olympics two or three times who can't afford to pay the mortgages, will never right. be able to afford to pay mortgages, are relying on their partner or, s or hopefully like they've, they've come from rich families and are, uh, will never make a living out of the sport, yeah? Or worse than that, in a way, they have to choose the wrong races to do in order to make a living. They're not choosing the, the right races in order to sort okay. of make a name for themselves or set records, they're choosing the wrong races because they have to go and make money. So if on the social media side, I feel that in athletics we've present, been presented with an opportunity that it's not just word of mouth or me being on a podium and like 300 people in a crowd seeing that I'm wearing a certain brand, Nike. Yeah. And relying on mainstream media to pick that up and feature it in some way, which has totally. been the history of the sport, really. Totally, exactly that. Now you've, now you've got complete control of it yourself. So now the people who follow you can get to know you as a person through things like Insta stories, not just a picture, which is like, you know, filter and filter and filter yeah. and filter, but actually get to know you day-to-day -day basis. And it's not all, you know, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. You know, it's bad days and, you know... I don't know. Day. I saw yours today. It looked pretty sunshine and rainbows today. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty... Rest day. It's rainbows today in, in Dubai. <laughs> like sat on a duck in a pool. It's brilliant. But and there's injuries well, two days ago, you were in a hoodie in the desert. <laughs> yeah, that was a bad day. That was a sandstorm, yeah. Yeah. It was a sandstorm. <laughs> but 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 to, for people to get to know your character is quite new. Like to put out videos and short clips like that, most runners are very very introverted. So for them to brag about a result or to talk openly about what they've done and sort of maybe the sponsors are holding them back as well. I'm lucky that I'm with Nike and Nike like just be yourself. If you bear in mind the people that Nike have taken on in the past and taken chances on, people like Br John McEnroe, right? Like who's you know, having arguments with referees every single game, swearing yeah. all the time, won't do interviews, will walk out of press conferences, because they want they want characters, they want real people. So I'm really I'm really lucky to be with Nike, uh, and but yeah, it's a pl it's a platform that can be used for you. So I, my point is that you can't make a it's very difficult to make a, unless you're Mo Farah or a top level African. It's very difficult to make a living out of running. So if you really want to do this, if it is your dream, you've just been issued with uh, a platform. Where you can you can actually become a professional athlete. And if that means making three 15-second videos a day and posting four times a week on Instagram, I'm all in. Yeah, yeah. And you'll get the real me. I'm not like I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to think, oh, maybe that will offend somebody. If you don't if you don't like it, unfollow me. If you like it, follow me. It's as simple as that. I'm not I, I, I'm not I'm not like desperate for being liked. So just keep yeah keep it real. That's kind of like the the marriage between the extrovert. And then the in, in an introvert sport, mm. but do you find that when you rock up on the on the start line or you're chatting to the lads after, mm. do they have that capability to portray that themselves, or are you really just the outlier who's the only one that's doing it? Like if you rock up and there's five guys on the start line, yeah, are there are there any other characters? Yes, yeah, do they have the ability to go? I can't even remember what the, the video was, but we uh, threw a message to you to come on <laughs> our podcast someday, and the video that came back was a teddy bear with sunglasses speaking into a banana. It's my agent. Saying, yeah, get your yeah. people to speak to my people, and I'll offer them a 
uh, I'll make them an offer they can't refuse. Right, here you are. <laughs> but if we had have said that to somebody else, yeah. they would have just come back with a formal text, email. Yeah. A text mm. and a chat and maybe, yeah, an email and a phone number and, okay. Yeah. So is there those people out there? Like, is there a whole bank of charismatic mm. endurance athletes that we just don't know about? Because, sorry to just last bit, David Goggins is one. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But his story is yep. outrageous. His story is crazy. Yeah, well, not everybody's got a talking teddy bear who's an a- as an agent, yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there, there is without a doubt. Like when I'm, like there I has to be. Yeah, there has to be. Surely, there's yeah, thousands and thousands like of runners. Any like demographic, runners. right? So, like when I'm in Spain, people are a lot more vocal, and uh, and so we'll be on the start line, and we'll be laughing, joking with each other. It will be like. Looks if you're limping, pal. Yeah, it's gonna be a bad day for you today. <laughs> yeah, and there'll be that sort of like sledging. Yeah, you know, in, in like Conor McGregor is a, an insane shit talker. Yeah, and there's a reason. Obviously, he's insanely talented as well. He puts in the work, but there's a reason why he's made the sport what it is. Yeah, yeah? so there's that sort of stuff that goes on in Spain, and I, I you know, I love it. And it's the it's the it's part the art of the game. Of, yeah, it's, it's it's the art of rugby. Yeah, it's kill each other on the battlefield. Have a beer afterwards. Be a gent after, yeah. yeah. Be a gent afterwards. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So there is hundred percent characters, but then there's guys that, like, I've worked with uh, a nutrition company called My Protein for 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 a long time. I think it's five or six years, and they've so they've supported me for a long time, and it's a great company. But obviously, they've come from bodybuilding and powerlifting, where it takes on a certain type of character. They're eccentric, not eccentric, but they're not eccentric. They're not interesting. They're uh, <laughs> they're um. They're just super confident, yeah? yeah? So it's no problem for them to post a picture of them posing in front of a mirror, right? Yeah, the more extrovert, the more as- aesthetically concerned. Yeah. So so branding around on social media is second nature to them. Totally, yeah. So when you hear about these guys getting a certain amount of, uh, and obviously now, you know, fitness models on Instagram is a huge thing, yeah? And to if, if they're getting a salary that is at least twice what, lottery funding in the UK would give uh, a GB athlete who's been to two or three Olympics and yet what have they achieved? Nothing. But they, they're playing the game, yeah? They're playing the social media game and they're bringing a personality. So when that went over to like, okay, we're going to set up an endurance and make energy products and that sort of thing and, you know, can you help us with that and test products, etc. I saw an opportunity but you can't look at an image of a runner and think, as a young kid, that's who I aspire to be yeah. or look like. So where you Whereas you could do that with a bodybuilder, or but why not? See what I mean? Why, why, why not? So, what are the steps that have gone, uh, or t- gone, gone past us so far to get to a point where people with big bodies are glorified versus people who are running? Yeah, it's f- yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting, but I suppose you're when looks are so important, people have this certain image in, in their mind what they want to look like on the beach. And if you've ever, you know, if you've ever been to sort of Marbella or any sort of a or stuff like that, people look in a certain way, but. What, okay, what kind of distance runner bring to the table? And that would be the sessions. People are fascinated by the type of hard sessions they do. What yeah. do they do as a long run? What is their interval session and the tempo run? And a lot of athletes are quite, uh, they, they like to keep that secret as if, you know, somebody will just grab it, do it, and, and, and then become it as and good win. as them. Yeah. As <laughs> if that's possible. It's not possible. So there's some great coaches out there who openly publish their stuff um, some great Italian coaches who ca- coach a lot of Kenyans and Ethiopians and Eritreans and the best runners in the world um, and that's the fascinating stuff it's like know? the idea of in tech isn't it make it open source and like, get everybody on board and everybody rise all, all ships rise together don't they like yeah, if, absolutely. If, if you're together going that way yeah. you said a couple of things that I want to I uh, try and pick up on 
Um, talking about the salaries that the Team GB and probably multiple countries uh, get, like the amount of commitment that people have to do to get to the top and to get on that podium or even just to get on the competition in the first place, there must be huge sacrifices there. So what kind of options you, you're kind of coming down the route of like, let's get the personality out there, let's build my own brand to kind of make myself more robust. Is there any other options or do you think that's the only way that people should go in order for athletes to be able to carve out a living? Yeah, I mean, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. If, you, if you're like genetically gifted, you've put in the work, and you've gone all the way through the system, you're 22 years old, you've, you're, you've had a scholarship, you've not even had to forfeit your education, you've just got a great scholarship in the US or the UK to, to run uh, full-time, and then you've, you've, you know, you've been picked up by a sponsor. Brilliant. You, know, you can have uh, a career and it'll last a certain amount of years, and it's not like you know uh, a career in snooker where you're Jimmy White and you're playing you know, 55 years old. It's a very, very limited career. It's not. I don't think it's even as long as uh, football. So even then, you know, you need to fall back on something else. So that's still possible, and you don't have to. I've met, met plenty of people that social media is just not for me. Okay, fair enough. If you can earn enough money and have the lottery funding in the UK, get enough money from your sponsors and do a good enough job where everybody's happy and you're getting enough money for 10, 15 years, however long you can make it last, great, no worries. But um, How yeah. likely is that? What, what are the percentage very, of people? Very, very, very few. So I'd say, I'd say in the UK we've got maybe five professional male runners. Wow. Distance runners, yeah. Who are and just full-time uh, funded. Yeah, and it's the same story as five it was. Yeah. in the UK. And it's the same story as it was. Like what would the US have? Like, what's the benchmark? A lot more. So there's a big difference between the UK system, the US system, which is like... By the state. US, US, UK is the club system, right? Mm -hmm. So we have two or 3,000 clubs in the UK. So from where I am in, where I lived in Manchester, in a 10-mile radius, we've got probably got 30 clubs, yeah densely populated with clubs but the funding from the lottery um, and the exchequer funding is is not filtered down it's completely mismanaged and that's a completely different topic we can talk about if you want but I'm having strong opinions on that um, in the US it's the collegiate system and then you get picked up afterwards you know it's very um, it's a very competitive it's, it's much easier to sort of be in, in sports over there it's much more competitive but if you've got talent you can make a living very easy so the top runners over there are making millions yeah um, whereas in the in the in, in Japan which is super super strong in, in running there you know they've just had the world champion 100k and they're ridiculously strong in distance running and because it's all they take people into corporate system pay them a salary maybe the job title is an administrator and they just run full-time there's train and run full-time oh, okay. so it's corporate system it's all about relays and things like that uh, and this, the, I'll give you an example I think it was two years ago uh, there's something like uh, four four UK guys ran under 64 minutes 63 minutes for half marathon in one race in Japan I think 60 70 guys did right. so it's ridiculous yeah because they've got the funding in order to run full-time and there's a huge difference between doing it do, having to have a part-time job or a full-time job and yeah. trying to run full-time the huge difference is you don't train much more you rest you recover yeah and recover really because well. i'm like just not to take you off your stride but pardon the pun but i uh i'm trying to prepare for some of the marathons like in dubai you've got to go out super early because the the heat by 8 9 a.m yeah if i miss that window if i'm running at 9 10 a.m my day is done 
I can't even I can't even open a laptop and figure out because I'm so brain melted. I'm fatigued. Mm. Like I'm not tired in the sense that I need to sleep, but I'm I'll turn something on. I'll start hitting the key and I'm just fog. Mm. So I can't imagine the kind of recovery that you need after a I guess 40k. The, st- the stress factor as well must play a part because if you're part-time worker and part-time trying to be a professional athlete yeah. and compete, mm. just living, yeah. making, you know, getting by day to day, putting food on the table and a roof over your head, mm. that must be you know, mm. a big worry, a big impact on performance as well because the sure. stress factor must be yeah. at all. So totally, yeah. And you've got, you know, there's loads of examples, but there's this, this kid's 22, 23 years old who've had to beg to get two weeks off in order to go to the Olympics. Can you believe that? Like, can I go to the Olympics? No, we really need you for these two weeks. They're working like in a, you know, some kind of terrible job. No, I really need two in weeks. In the UK? Yeah, in yeah. the UK. So you just have a boss who doesn't understand sport or doesn't understand the sport that they're in. Um, and then, you know, there's pressures. If you're a footballer, you're in 100 grand a week, you know, you can justify to anybody why you do what you do and why you need to rest and why you need yeah. to have the lifestyle. If you're a runner earning, let's say, £10,000 a year, and that's in a lot of cases, like, they, there's a lot of runners on less than the minimum wage in the UK in order just to survive and follow their dreams. How do you justify that to a partner or a wife or yeah. who's been supporting you for so many years or parents even? You know, it's very difficult. So, yeah, again, g- go, going back to another avenue where you can make money, like... It's like for your sponsors, it's really, really simple. I, I view it re- re- very, very basically as, it's like you go to a job interview. It's not what I can do for you. Uh, not what you can do for me, it's what I can do for you. And if you approach sponsors in that way, because that's the biggest, one of the biggest questions I get asked on social media, how can I be a full-time athlete? It's like, well, what, what can you bring to the table? You know, what, what is it about you that's different? Because if it's just running, you know, good luck, you know, join the queue. But if you can bring something else to the table, then there's there's an opportunity for everyone, which is nearly always character. Totally, totally, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, if you, and with Goggins, you know, it's a great story. You know, there's lots of stories like Steve Ways uh, uh, holds the British record for 100k um, temporarily, and um, he ha- he was massive, uh, massively into drink, and uh, had just a corporate lifestyle, and was I think it was a programmer or something, and um, was 15, 16 stone. Now he's sort of like just a little bit heavier than me and, and just changed his, had this innate ability that he only found out when he was 33 years old. Did his first marathon in three hours 17 or something, uh, off three, four weeks training, then did the next one in two, four, and then all of a sudden just knew he had this ability. So stories like that catch the media more than somebody who's been working and grafting their entire life since five, six years old um, because it's just more entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you create story then moving forward? Like what, what's the future for, for, for you in terms of y- your positioning, character? What stories can, can we, can we un- unfold for the future of, of you and running? So, so, so as we spoke a few times about uh, UK athletics and the funding, so completely dependent on U- uh, UK national lottery funding and another source of funding. And then it's, too, in my opinion, too many admin staff, not enough money given to the athletes when you get to ultra running so so much less it's based on volunteers and volunteer coaches uh volunteer managers that sort of thing and the athletes are of course not paid um you often have to pay for your own ticket if you want to go to a world championship and that's not just the uk that's like uh it's a lot of countries so if you want to run for your country represent your country get that vest you pay for your own flights yeah you pay for your own hotel and things like that so how do you make the 100k world championships 
uh, and the governing body, how, how do they make it an interesting sport? Like you have to, you have to like, as the UFC sees them, you have to like com uh, have characters competing against characters. So okay, Japan versus uh, South Africa versus America versus like some brilliant guy in Italy, uh, some brilliant guy in Sweden versus the, the UK. So play on the play on the country, the tribal mentality of country versus country. Yeah, and then as, as, a one, as one start. And then like okay, well you know, you know ex athlete from America has been running this time. He looks really in form. Mm. Got this guy from Britain. He looks really in form. And then just po like. Uh, it's, it's there's so much more that goes into running 100k than running a marathon. Mm. Um, it's great that marathons are there because it's mass participation. It's like something that a lot of people get into, uh, like later on in life, and they just want to, as we said before, tick that box. But um, a lot of sports do that. Right? A lot, a lot of sports already have huge country versus country World Cups, football, rugby, whatever it may be. So that's that's kind of fairly standard. So why haven't why isn't the running community adopted something like that to try and spark? that tribal following of, of, of national pride, which is a big thing right now. Patriotism around the world is a huge, a huge topic. It's yeah, a, something more it's regular than the Olympics. Because the yeah. Olympics does it in one sense sure. Sure. For every four years. But yeah. how do you make it a yearly thing where people remember Yeah, and they follow the story? Because I can't remember the person from four years ago's story no. when they come around unless there's a snippet before the race and, the, oh, yeah, I remember that kid from, yeah. from whatever... Yeah, exactly, and it's it's it's, it's been like that since the seventies. This guy in uh, called Steve P. Fontaine, who was at the uh, I think it was Munich Olympics in seventy two, and he was at the time to go to the Olympics and compete for America, you needed to be an amateur, so you couldn't take a contract from any company. You couldn't be paid. You had to survive on food stamps. Nothing much changed uh, in the way that the sport is run. It takes a certain amount of money to put on these events. So in ultra running, the 50K and the 100K has just gone biannually and okay. not annually. But straight away, like 50% of your events over the next 10 years are gone, yeah? Half the revenue, yeah. And on top of that, events keep getting cancelled because they can't find venues. So why are we not learning from other sports? Like, why are we not seeing, like, okay, the World Cup football was in Rio. Okay, what's the legacy in Rio? What was the legacy in London 2012 Olympics? Are we using all those stadiums or are they just going to waste? You know, what's, you know, a tracks being closed all the time in the UK? Yes, they are. Why? Because it's the maintenance on those facilities is ridiculously high where the money will never come. Because like in politics, these governing bodies think four years ahead or eight years ahead. So my view is that similar to the way football will probably go, you'll end up getting maybe four to six venues around the world that'll consistently hold these World Cups. They'll have the infrastructure in place. They'll be uh, great countries, uh, but they'll, they won't have that massive loss that the World Cup brings. Yep. And the same with the Olympics as well. So we should do that as well with ultra running. It'd be very, very simple. There's huge costs for some reason involved in hosting a World Championships or a European Championships. The European Championships, 100K has just been cancelled for this year. So, you know, you've been training, you've been getting ready for it, all of a sudden, cancelled. Game over, yeah? So you can't Where was that supposed to be? So, uh, the so the 50K World Championships this year in September in Romania um, and the European Championships, 100K has been cancelled. So, you know, why has it been cancelled? It's like you have uh, the IAU, the International Association of Ultra Runners, in place. And their job is to find these venues. Given it's not, it's not a very easy thing to do, yeah? great event is in a place in Holland very near very close to the German border where it's just a 10k lap you do 10k 10 laps of this 10k loop 
the whole village gets involved. There's a lot of volunteers obviously needed. The, r the race goes on for 10 hours. The fastest guys are done in six and a half hours. Um, but Jeez. the fact for, for, for that to be um, for that to be cancelled when you've got three, four years to find a venue is ridiculous then you've got to ask questions like how much does it cost to put on one of, one of these events and why are you not being transparent about those costs why are you not getting other people or existing events to host the world championships or european championships because everybody wants these events i've been last year i was at the event and it was 60, 60 nationalities so it's totally 60 60 nationalities. A third of the world turned up to the third for of the world ultra marathon up. yeah for, for 100k wow. and and so if you look at the 10,000 meter world champion uh Olympic championships or world championships there's a maximum of 25 30 guys on the track yeah. um, and usually if you're lucky 10 nationalities yeah um, so it's totally international you know the Japanese the sweet the Swedish guys has just been become world champion a couple of years ago an Italian guy was hammering it for mm. three years it's very very international yeah so it's a great it is a great sport to watch and follow and there's a lot of online following whilst it's on should just be as simple as okay let's you know let's cut the costs where we need to let's stop paying like executives to do nothing uh let's um let's like put more is money into the athletes is there only the iau or is, is are there other bodies that that do something similar for ultra marathons so yeah the, so so the iau has been uh you've got trail running so trail running has become more and more popular okay. um still very very small portion compared well, to running and that kind of stuff running and long distance like just uh, keep that mic nice and close to you yeah long long distance uh like 100 mile events in the us and there's some in like ultra trail de mont blanc is one of the quickest yep. race uh, one of the biggest races in the world and that's sold out within you know 10 minutes of it going for the tickets going on sale and is it similar similar competitors to similar what would be at the ultra marathon yeah similar competitors uh but people have realized so ultra runners have realized that there's no money in the road running so if i can work for a company that sells trail running shoes or trail running equipment or mountain equipment and be an ambassador for them there's a there's actually so they'll a shift even if it might not be the best option for them as an athlete exactly. they'll shift from a career perspective exactly yeah and steve prefontaine in 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 72 was really big on i don't want he was offered two hundred thousand dollars in 1972 which mm. i don't know what equates to now but a lot of money yes yeah, and he said that's, that's no, probably millions now yeah i don't want that i want a gold medal yeah and that's why we still talk about him today. He wasn't the fastest guy. He was fast, and he did break a lot of an American, American records. But it was his character. It was the fact that he stood against the sport and said, this isn't right. We shouldn't be amateurs uh, or have the choice of being professional and not going to the Olympics. Yeah. It shouldn't be that way. And, and, and again, he's another person for me, like Muhammad Ali, he takes a stand against the sport because he, wants, he sees that, that it's flawed and people are making money from the gate entries, uh, from ticket sales and stuff like that and it's not going back to the athletes who essentially like if you were you know back in the Coliseum days obviously it's great if you've got gladiators it's brilliant if they all get killed because you don't need to pay them yeah right yeah, <laughs> yeah well, let's not do that <laughs> but no that's good that's interesting because that then filters down into people entering the sport doesn't it like if you're looking at your idols driving around in Ferraris and Bentleys they're going to look at the footballers you're going to look at the pop stars whoever else you're not seeing any endurance athletes or any olympians really like well you'd hope you'd take the bike wouldn't you really because <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you, you, you might have those basketball players from you know the pros from the u.s they go across so you see them but that's one way to get younger people more involved mm. in the sport is mm. to is to be able to show that there is actually a budget there is a fulfilling career in this mm. you can sustain yourself you can make a living you can earn some big bucks yeah in endurance 
athletics rather than just having mm. to be a footballer or yeah or a social media influencer sure yeah i think we're small-minded in the uk and this just be speaking about the uk but you know if if for instance and this and i'm not going to name names but an athlete goes over to the u.s and changes everything's been going great in his career changes his coach and wants to train in the u.s in a like a, a state where the sunshine all year round great training facilities the best coaches medics etc real on appreciation hand all the time. for it real appreciation for the sport like totally packed stadiums all the time money is a lot better and uk athletics uh associate or the uk athletics community will be like why is he going over there he's no longer part of us he's like just looking after his his future yeah. um you know and there was a, a, a famous uh female runner who's just won the european championships one of my, one of my favorite runners laura muir she's a, a trainee veterinarian um she's doing a qualifications in in that and it was the option of studying for exam or going to i think it was the commonwealth games or some games and it was like okay i'm going to choose to be a vet because you you know you would like yeah. because long term it's just not the money in the sport which is again as i said before it's completely fair enough because it's not interesting enough her races are interesting enough but um the sport in general it's not interesting enough it needs it needs to be something else what's come up quite recently is um the 400 meter 400 meter mixed relay so two guys two girls right different countries and okay you know the guys are obviously slightly faster but who do you put first who do you put on second leg who got who runs your last leg that mixes it up a little bit so it's the the sport is trying to change and become more more of a spectator friendly sport but um yeah i think we need to do better so how how would you make one single event better how would you make like right there's this what's called mount blanc is that what you said there's one Mont Mont Blanc, yeah so how would you make that Right, let's put all our focus on one every year. Mm. Cheerleaders, Red Bull airplanes, flybys, <laughs> like beer festivals. Like, what, what, what would you suggest is the way to make something stand out? Joe, you know, it's funny you should say that because there's a, there's a guy in the UK called Ben Polchi who has uh, done exactly that, what you've just said. So he said, okay, uh, I'm going to create a 10,000 meter race. It's going to be six races over the evening. We're going to have a beer company that's going to sponsor it. So there's beer from five o'clock. So the audience is enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like the darts. <laughs> yeah, and every single lap you run under a tent. So you literally the audience is here. You're two meters away from okay, the, that cool. first lane, right? And over the night, it gets more and more and more competitive to the point where you there's world class athletes in that A race, and that's now become the British Championships 10,000 meter race. So over the course of just two or three years, from him having a different idea. And in the middle, the interviews are done in, for instance, the Lamborghini. Um, the, there's a circus going on, so it's like, you know, circus acts all the way through. There's a top-level commentator who's live there. Things are televised now or on a live stream somewhere. So he's done exactly what the sport needs. It just needs, like, the boost of... It just needs modernizing. It's yeah. as simple as that. So how do you do that with 100K? You put it in a venue, like what I just said in Holland, and you just make sure that... Um, Everything there is is taken care of, so you're 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 getting you're getting the athletes there, you're getting countries involved, you're making sure people are sending full teams. Because a big problem we've got is in the UK is you're not going to the, you, you, if you want to go to the Olympics for the 10,000 meters, for instance, you got to hit the standard twice. So you got to hit qualifying standard, 28 minutes or whatever, which is fair enough. Some people will do that, but then on top of that, there's a little small print, and also you you have to have medal potential. So it's like we're competing against Kenya, Eritrea, Ethiopia. We, 
probably not going to medal in the 10,000 meters. Yes, we've got Mo Farah, who's an outlier, who's now moved through marathons, so he's no longer going to be a part of this. So what we're going to see, we're going to see just to, eventually it will get to a point where it's a couple of outliers versus the rest of that East Af African pocket. So for me, it's no longer the Olympics. If you remember the Olympics as a kid, it was people from all over the world who looked vastly different competing for one prize, yeah? And that was the beauty of the Olympics. The Russians versus the Americans versus the Chinese versus the Japanese versus the British versus everybody else, yeah? Um, and so adding that medal potential, and that's come from the top, that's come from the funding. Mm -hmm. It's like our purpose is to win medals in the Olympics and the Paralympics and the, and the major events preceding those. That's the purpose of that governing body, and that's come from the CEO down, yeah? So again, it's just completely mismanaged. The purpose for me of athletics is to inspire kids to watch the TV and say, that's a guy who looks like me, yeah. or that's a girl who looks like me, who I could potentially be, yeah? And um, the same in any sport. Like, I could, he looks, he's, he talks like me. He's from Yorkshire, he's from Manchester, yeah? yeah. I, you know, I could, I, that could be me. You know, I just need to, and I remember, you know, my, uh, we had the Commonwealth Games in Manchester in 2002. I think I was 19. Maths is awful, but uh, I can run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, but my, my, I remember my dad saying like, okay, you got 11 years to train for that. It's gonna be, it's gonna be in, you know, well, whatever, eight yeah. years to train for that, and 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 that was like that was my goal at the time. So that's the that's the problem. The whole concept of having medal potential, since sprinting. Okay, we're not we're not gonna beat Jamaica or, or the U.S. So we're yeah. not we're not we're probably not gonna medal in in. So what we're gonna do? We're gonna send a load of hammer throwers and javelin throwers and stuff like that. No disrespect to those guys because they put a hell of a lot of work in from a very young age, but. I don't know so many people who aspire, uh, aspire to be a thrower or a jumper, yeah? Definitely, you know, if it runs in the family and stuff like that, but running is where we came from, yeah? It's yeah. the most natural thing to watch a race where the first person to cross the line wins, wins a gold medal. something very special about that. Yeah, and it's one of those things that everybody can do, isn't it? Like, you just have to totally try it and see how good you are, like you were saying, Steve. No, who'd you say? The Steve Prefontaine. No, the other, the other guy... The British guy, or the guy who was the alcoholic to lose in his 30s? Uh, Steve Way. Steve Way, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so like he found out later in life he can do it because he just took his, put his trainers on, off he went. There's hope for me, yeah. Yeah, there's hope for everybody. Um, so how would you then, is that, how else would you try and motivate kids to get involved? I'd say, you know, if we look at the education system in the UK, uh, you look at the, the, the curriculum, um, we do two hours of PE a week. You know, and I remember the 30 kids in my class, that was the highlight of the week for pretty much everybody, apart from maybe two kids that brought a note every week from the doctor, yeah? So why, why are we doing two hours of sport a week when the life lessons that that teaches you in sport, art, and music, so much more than what we need to do in all the other subjects? Because we're just, we're outdated completely in, in education. We're learning stuff that we don't need to know anymore. Um, you know, everything talked about this recently but you know everything you need to know you can find very very quickly by a google search yeah. absolutely so you, you, that, that capacity to have to just memorize stuff and repeat it in an exam yeah. it's kind of irrelevant these days because everyone's got access to every bit of information in the world at a touch of a button so totally yeah the system therefore is, is pretty flawed yeah so you go to school for 30 hours a week and you, for 28 of them you're learning to pass exams uh and for two hours you're doing something that is actually teaching you a lot of life lessons 
discipline, teamwork, what you put in, you get out. Communication. Um, communication, like, you know, not ev- you know, uh, not every day you're going to win, uh, you know, how to fail, um, all, the, all those things. And also, like, a variety of sports. So, you know, what, what, what are you good at? And why are you good at that? Um, you know, coordination and things like that. Everyth- everything, I owe, everything I owe to sport. Like my one, my idol is still my PE teacher. Yeah, it's like a father figure to me. He and it was only until after school. Um, this guy called Andy Trigg. You realised just how good he was because he was completely modest, hard as nails, like w- like skinnier than me, more muscular, um, would and still holds all the local fell running records for running between two hours and like 15 hours yeah and never mentioned any at school you just found about it afterwards but you just saw him this crazy guy is running around the the, the, the six posts the we call paddy the field. fields and the paddy fields like every dinner time and it's raining what's he doing he must be mad yeah yeah but like there's something about him you just want to be and of all the teachers <laughs> jamie will remember this that's the teacher you don't mess with yeah. yeah. Whatever he says is right, yeah. <laughs> Lee and I went to school together just to put that in there, yeah. <laughs> so Mr. Trigger's a legend. So yeah. <laughs> so that, you know, that's still my idol. That's so I wanted to be like, so, um, so to be able to give back and to get kids into sport more, uh, because naturally those teachers would say, okay, you have a natural talent in this sport. Okay, join the local club. We'll put you in contact with East Cheshire Harriers, which is my club from being 11 years old. Is that old. Roger Bannister's club, East Cheshire Harriers? No. No, no. No, but... Um, but then you know, and, th- and then against the nurture, it's like all of a sudden you're given a coach who's sort of looking after you. Yeah. You're training twice a week, you're racing at the weekend, and then you've got school races on a Saturday, you know, club races on a Sunday, and it's all there for you. And I was lucky enough to be from a town where there's three cricket clubs, so I was playing cricket, uh, f- counts football clubs, um, and obviously those uh, then create communities of sports people and people are constantly doing stuff, and you're learning from adults who are really into sport. Yeah, I mean, you talk about those teachers and those young, uh, those inspirations when you're young. You do hold on to some of those lessons. Mm. Like, for a young kid who's running, who's maybe good at running but not good at anything else, just deep down he's got a set of lungs on him or or her Mm. that nobody knows about and you can't see it, maybe they're not the best at school. The life benefits they'd get from running with the exercise benefits as, as a bottom level and then the endorphins and all that positive things. Mm. Um, I think lots of people take up running when they're older because they enjoy it then, whereas it does have this idea that you're a, maybe a loner or you're out on your own and yeah. you don't have many friends. But you know, trying to shift that perspective and just get people involved as a group. Yeah. It's a challenge. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, another PE teacher story is Mo Farah. Like, um, he loved football. Didn't want to, like, football, football, football. His teacher was like, I think you may be good at running. Like, <laughs> there's something about you, yeah? So he said, you can play football if you do a cross-country race, yeah? So all of a sudden he did a cross-country race. But ran, won by a long way. And then, you know, obviously loved win- the winning and the competition. Then, you know, he's most decorated athlete uh, of our generation. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's um. That, that's the same point, isn't it? The whole the whole kind of uh, media side of of sport and why people want to get into football and now UFC and all the stuff that's dramatized and and uh, put out there in shiny lights. Running is not, mm. and that, that obviously has a huge impact with kids. Yeah. So let's see see if you can change it. Yeah, definitely. The, the biggest thing on my Instagram is like, I've said this a lot, but 
when I get kids using their parents' Instagram to, because on a weekly basis they ask me a question. When I get kids asking me, you know, uh, how do you do this and how is it possible to have one that wants to be a skier and, you know, he lives in Manchester, wants to be a skier, right? So how am I going to be a skier living in Manchester? You're able to answer those questions and, and um, you know, I really want to be... What, what was the answer <laughs> there? <laughs> well, you... <laughs> obviously your options are limited we have something called a chill factor so you've got to be there all the time but of course you've got to be realistic yeah you live you live you, you know in terms of success one of the things is opportunity and the opportunity for me was you've got running club you've got teachers who are really everything within two mile radius that you need all the training facilities how do you become a skier if you live in uh, Manchester you know yeah. it's like the bullseye, the old bullseye joke. You, you know, you look, have a look at what you could have won a speedboat. I live in Birmingham. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's um, you know, it's, you have to be realistic. But if you really want it, like it's there for you. Yeah, you just have to persuade your parents to move to somewhere else, Switzerland, yeah. right? So it's not, it's not unachievable. It's possible. Everything's possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I don't know. It's running is something I got into really late in life anyway there was my old school teacher when I was 12 used to have us run around the school yard and I actually did have one moment where I thought geez I'm actually much better at this than I thought like I wasn't winning things mm -hmm. but I just remember thinking he's the fast guy in our class so if I can stay right behind him mm -hmm. for these laps yeah. then I'll be doing okay and then when we got <laughs> towards the end he was really struggling and I was like I'm gonna go by him and then just and he was the, f the speedy guy but he mm. obviously didn't have the lungs mm. and I was tall and skinny and light mm. so with a longer stride mm. so that was one moment for me I was like geez I'm actually not too bad at that yeah. and then I went back playing field sports rugby football all that mm. grown up and it just it was a natural thing for me to slide into having bashed my head about 800 yeah. times a year playing rugby yeah. and broken bones and joints mm. it's like right i'm sick of this these going out rugby training here when i'm just turned 30 and i'm up against 24 five-year-olds who are yeah. really quick and really yeah. agile and really committed to it. i'm like i'm getting yeah, yeah getting too old for this no one's paying me any money for this yeah, i'm gonna yeah. go fine I, I actually just packed it in then i was like you know what i need to do something mm. right trainers on yeah let me just see what this running thing is like yeah just off I went. Yeah. Um, but, you know, what would be the impact of all of a sudden tomorrow? The, and I, I, it was funny, I was recently in the Maldives doing a marathon, yeah. And part of it was to get, they want to get kids in sport. And there was lots of funny stories because they're very, very new to they cricket and football and outside that's very little. But president, sports minister, minister of tourism, they want to build running as uh, and running the triathlon and cycling in the Maldives. And... It's just like, you know, what would happen if Monday morning everyone showed up for school and all of a sudden it wasn't two hours because they followed the British curriculum, doing six hours a week of sport. What, that, you know, what's, what's going to be over your primary school years, seven years, what's going to be the outcome of that? Is anything negative going to come from that? You're really going to miss out on anything else. Your religious studies, your, uh, your science studies, whatever else it is, yeah? Are you really, is there, there going to be any negative that comes from that. I don't think so. Like I was like, why don't you just get into your office? Speaking to the president, why don't you just get into your office and just sign it off tonight? And like Monday morning, everybody <laughs> gets to school. They're doing six hours a period. It'd be great. Yeah. Did he buy it? Yeah, he was sort of like semi bought in. We're in contact. <laughs> <laughs> so then, what's what's next for you then on the horizon? Like, what's the motivation? What's the plan now going forward? Uh, so I want to stick to 100k. I think that's where I'm best at. And I want to. Uh, become world champion and set a world record in the w in the 100k. Cool. So to do that, uh, I have to run just under 6:10. That's the target. Yeah. 
and so it's like 340. What are you at now? Per kilometer. So I ran 640. Okay. I was aiming for 620 in my last race, but I got injured slightly before. Just need you. You need clean say, run. I'm not gonna say. I'm not yeah. I'm not gonna say luck because it's not luck. You need to put the work in, but you just need a t- you need a tad of luck in order for everything to go perfectly. And um, and yeah, you need to run 340 per kilometer. So um, it's possible. And if you get with you get in a fast race. It's yeah, it's there for it's there for the taking. What's a f- what's a fast race? Um, if you've got a lot of the like cycling, yeah, it, you know, obviously, if you're wi- if you're in a group, you've got like you're saving a lot of energy if you're wi- if you're behind you, a, a okay. few guys, yeah. So it's something like if you're third wheel in in the Tour de France, you're uh, like Tour de France to race on the flat, you're using thirty percent of the energy of the guy at the front. Okay. So it works a little bit like that. Obviously, you're running 15, 16, 17 kilometers an hour versus 30 to 35, 40 kilometers an hour. So you're running 15k an hour doing for, for 100k. Yeah, so that was my like 15 point something k an hour. Um, but but so there's less, there's less uh, of a of a benefit to run behind people. But certainly running a pack is there's a lot of energy you save. Yeah. So if you can get to the question you asked me before, which I didn't really answer, was like, at what point does it really become difficult? Shouldn't be until that last 20k. Um, then it should become difficult. And is that physically difficult or is that mentally difficult? Um, if you're if you've taken the right salts in throughout the race and your nutrition's on point, your brain should still be functioning properly at that point. There is points when I, I I've li- I've done races where I've got into work, and this is when I used to still have a job. I've done races where I've got into work on Monday morning, and I've not I can't remember any of my passwords. So I've gone, <laughs> I've gone so far. I'm deadly serious, yeah. Uh, it's a big problem. Literally, <laughs> literally uh, so, something's gone on in that race. It was a delirious blackout. Yeah. Couldn't remember the race. Couldn't, couldn't remember my outlook login, my Gmail. Seriously, I mean, uh, I've finished races and gone to the bathroom, and it's you, know, you go for a, go for a pee, and it's complete blood. It's yeah. Blood, and um, and so you push your body to a certain point because your your mind is so much stronger than your body, and that's what Goggins goes on about as well. And that's you know your you you your body your mind stops before your body. So if you can c- take complete control of your body, um, and embrace uh, my thing is embracing suffering. Isn't that you you can't block it out. A lot of people try and block it out. You can't block it out. It's going to be there. Yeah. So you need to embrace it. You need to learn to enjoy it. Do you run with a mantra? Do you run with like? Are you telling yourself anything? Are you self-talking? Are you? arguing with yourself yeah I mean, like um it's either med- complete meditation i can go for an hour and i've not thought of hardly anything or i'm com- constantly problem solving or thinking of uh solutions to things or i'm um completely like uh, i don't know if you saw a recent post i made about a race that i did in chiang mai marathon thursday i didn't want to do the race because it starts at three o'clock in the morning and then i sort of went through my thoughts in the race and it's like I'd, i'll just do it as a training race and then um and it's like a Kenyan guy went ahead and I was like, I'm not having that. Yeah. I'm not gonna get beat. Like I'm not doing I'm not getting up at three o'clock in the morning to come second. So then, you know, this Japanese guy went ahead, I was like, could have done with it a bit easy for the first thirty K, yeah. And then they're playing around and thinking, it's too I'm I'm grumpy, I'm still tired, yeah. How far into the race are you? Twenty five uh, very early at ten K they started to play games. I was like, lads, can we just chill out for the What first does a game look like in a ten So somebody'll search, somebody'll go ahead right. and play a game, yeah. And they you know they can't sustain that pace, but you've got to go with them just in case. Yeah. yeah. And you know a Kenyan is capable of usually running two ten, two fifteen. And um 
And so you go with, if you look at, you look around you, there's, there was a group of eight of us and I'm thinking, right, okay, five of these guys look solid, three look tired, right? One tired guy goes ahead and I think, nah, let's just leave him to it. But then a Kenyan goes with him like, why are you chasing him? He's yeah. knackered. Yeah, okay. He's not going to last the distance. <laughs> <laughs> are you ever talking to each other? Yeah, I just have a chat and say, listen, you can see like he's breathing like he's going to run out of oxygen. Like, in the you'll next you'll be chatting to these boys on yeah. the yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's funny, yeah? It's like, how are you feeling? Good. How are you feeling? Yeah, excellent. Yeah. A lot, a lot better than you. <laughs> I'll take um, your good and I'll raise it to yeah. excellent. It's your Arnold Schwarzenegger thing on that pumping iron totally, documentary. It's totally that, yeah. yeah. It's totally that, yeah. Like he was, he should have lost that event, and it was because like all of a sudden he annihilated the Hulk. Yeah, and uh, the Hulk was just shy on stage. Yeah. So you're doing that at 10, 20 k. Yeah. Beside these guys. Going there, it was like okay, chase him again. But when and then and then there was a point where okay, pass this guy. This is the Thai national champion. I was like, pass him, we'll pass him decisively. And I passed him, went past. That was knackered by this point. I trained all week really hard. It was just a training race, and then. He's he, I thought I thought I'd just gone past. I looked back and he was well up, well back. I thought right, great, I've won the race, just coast it in. Then four k to go, guys on my shoulder, I'm like oh, I do not need this. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> can we just leave it at that? Like whatever. If you're running for the money, if you're running for the prize money, you can have it. It's just like yeah. just let me win the race. I just want to <laughs> win the race, go home to sleep. Yeah, I'm knackered. I haven't slept. So. <laughs> and then uh, it's four thirty. Like I'm <laughs> yeah. so I thought I'll just blag it. I just run five hundred meters hard. Make the guy think. I'm really in shape. I'm really still got loads to give, and it's that and it's that like poker. And that worked. It's totally oh, like poker. Him. Yeah, I bluffed him. Yeah. yeah, and it's dark, so I couldn't wear my sun- usually I wear sunglasses, so you can't tell how much I'm suffering. Yeah, yeah, it is, it is exactly <laughs> like that poker. Yeah. And um, and then after like two two k, we had to switch around. I'd, uh, I had like two two three hundred meters. I thought it's not going to catch me now. So then after the race, it was like typical tie yes it's tie tie you're on tie time so anything can happen at any time it's like okay can i go home and sleep no and the guy's like no presentation in three hours i mean to wait here for three hours okay wait here for three hours and it's selfie time because you're in asia yeah <laughs> and then, then you go on for a shower try and get over it and then the presentation at 11 o'clock or something like that so it's it's all fun and games but it's just the mental side of it and that sort of the fun of it is, yeah yeah that's <laughs> that's something I never thought about in an endurance. I would have thought at a hundred k races, he's way out. You're somewhere twenty k behind, or the next person's twenty k behind that. What's the longest race you've done? Uh, it's meant to be a hundred k. It was hundred and twenty k. It's in the Himalayas. Uh, told, I think I've told Jimmy about this before. Just uh, again, like turn up to the Himalayas. It's a bright sunny day. I I just come off a hike and. Um, <laughs> I was hiking for... Classic f- prep for 120k run. This is, I was going to flash back a Zoolander. It's another <laughs> bit where he just runs off into this like, oh, we just done these magic herbal teas and we've been up in this space and all this. Sorry, go on, you just come off the hike. So I just come off the hike. I've been hiking for three weeks in the Himalayas, in the Annapurnas, so on the west side of the Himalayas. And I'm sat in, I'm sat in a, a bar at 11 o'clock at night drinking a hot chocolate uh, reading a book about the first ascent of Annapurna because I've got this vision in my head that I'm going to climb this mountain eventually. Yeah? And, um, and this Aussie goes like, uh, are you doing the race, mate? It's like, well, that's my Aussie accent, by the way. Yeah, yeah I got and it. That's, yeah, um, nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <From> Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I was like, what race? Uh, she's like, oh, just 
saw your shoes, you got running shoes on, I assume you were running. I was like, no, what's the race? She's like, and this is Thursday night. She said, yeah, signing's tomorrow, and then there's a race on Sunday, uh, race on Saturday. I was like, how far is it? She said, 50K, 75K, or 100K, depending on what you want to choose. So I was like, all oh, right, I'll have a wander over to the hotel tomorrow and see what's happening. And all these guys are paying, like, a package holiday to go and do this race. So I negotiated with this guy to get a ticket, and she said I could do the 100K, which I was buzzing about. Uh, and and he's the, the checklist of the stuff that you needed was like war and peace, yeah? Like torch, jacket, just thinking it's beautiful. Like you don't need all this, 25 degrees. Um, map would be quite useful. Um, <laughs> I'd like a Casio watch, no GPS, no map. Uh, my trainers that had done the hiking, uh, shorts. Went out and bought like a bum bag, just yeah. no energy gels or anything like that in this town. Just bung loads of Snickers and sesame seed bars in there. And a bottle of water that I got from the shop, and I thought <laughs> fill that up at rivers along the way. And then it was we got to this camp, and there's 200 expats that have paid this extortionate fee to do this race, <laughs> and 200 Nepalese guys who are really strong. And it's like breakfast tomorrow is at six, race starts at seven. You know it's Nepal, so you know it's not going to be like that, yeah. But we get to breakfast at six o'clock, nobody's there. Okay, everything's postponed one hour. Breakfast at seven, race starts at eight. Okay, so by this point we're getting hungry in our camp, which is only 15, 20 people in my camp. And so we start having breakfast, this guy's making us porridge. And um, and then at seven o'clock we had this gungo and we see like 350, 380 people run past, like <laughs> that might be our race, <laughs> yeah. So um, so we quickly get ready, um, we're all obviously really full. And there's some world-class runners at this race, like, like both uh, international runners and Nap Nepalese get taken by a police escort who goes the wrong way so we run a few extra like kilometers and um and then eventually catch up to the race everything's going smoothly and started to like work my way f through the field and you don't want to start too quick anyway and it's a long race so it's it's not the worst case that we've lost sort of 10 15 minutes uh but at 66k it start like the heavens open and it's like ice cold himalayan rain and I thought, this is why the jacket was on the list, yeah? That's probably, like, would be really, really useful right now. So I'm sort of running along, thinking, you know, if I see, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to walk, uh, run past decathlon or anything like that. You're in the Himalayas, yeah. right? So, <laughs> so, um, so now and again, you'll see, like, a tiny little store with, like, little biscuits and stuff like that. Um, but when once it started raining, and then from... From from 66k to the end, which ended up being 120k, it was three massive storms. So thunder and lightning and um, ice cold rain. Yeah, it was just freezing, freezing, freezing. And uh, so I, I sped up to try and sort of get out of where I was and also like warm up. Um, but then everybody on the checkpoints had gone home because they'd just be like, you know, instead of check because for safety reasons they've got to check people off. Yeah, okay, you're in the Himalayas, it's serious ground. Yeah. And also, you want to check who's uh, who's in what, what yeah. position, right? But everybody just got home, so <laughs> so you get to this Amazing. point where it's switchbacks for 25k. Yeah, so you're just on this road doing switchbacks because okay. the mountain's that steep. The road's got to wind so that these old cars in Nepal can get get it up okay. here. So I'm going up there and um, thinking I'm, pa I'm, pa I'm passing a, a few people, and, I, and I eventually I get to. A checkpoint that's in a sh part of a shop so the shop's open I'm able to buy some candy and the guy tells me what position I'm in I'm like okay great how long until second place and I was in third place and and um, so then then 
I'm I didn't need all this jacket because I thought I'm not going to be out there. I, I didn't need a torch. I thought because I, I'm not going to be out there longer than ten hours. I don't care what the train is. It's not going to take ten hours to run 100k. And um, I did need a torch because it, <laughs> <laughs> it went dark. Yeah. <laughs> so then it's pitch black. It's cloudy. It's pissing it down, and it's thunder and lightning. So whenever it flashes, I'm like, great, I can see where I'm going. And um, get to the last checkpoint and people are just there must be a 30 people huddled under what looks like a bush shelter like please can't borrow somebody's coat by that point i'm thinking i've got to finish or i'm gonna get hypothermia yeah okay and um no nobody would part with the coat and i didn't have enough i had like 20 dollars on me nobody would part with the coat for 20 20 dollars not in yeah the, not in the freezing cold rain so hiked up this the last 7k which was it turned into like a riverbed by that point there's right. so much water so you've just got rocks hitting your shins Again, you can only see when there's a flash of lightning where where you're actually going, and there's just no there's just no safety. And uh, and I get to the end, and everybody's in in their like little um, it's like a campsite. Everybody's in their like beds and stuff like that. Who's already done the 50k and the 75k race? There's no food. There's no nothing at the finish. There's nobody there to greet you. It's just like well done, thanks a lot. And then there's this <laughs> Indian guy called Lal, and a Malaysian guy who uh, who met me at the finish. Was like sort of put a blanket around me, got a coat for me, and I was like, I, com- I completely didn't know where I was or anything. Maybe 5k before that, I was thinking I just need to s- lay down here, have a sleep, yeah, for and you then know. I'll be completely fine. Yeah, that would that would comp- that would have killed me. Yeah, I, that's I, those those demons yeah and and uh, that that's the closest I've ever been to death without a doubt yeah really yeah. yeah and I really really thought like if you don't find somebody soon somebody's like a light on that house or something soon I'm in the middle of nowhere this is your last day really I really really felt that and um and then I got to the end and it was the presentation the next day I was like okay great came I've come second brilliant and the results came out there's loads of Nepalese guys in front of me I was like nobody's passed me like how how's that happen like um I've gone past loads of people. I'm, t- I'm being told by the checkpoint which position I'm in. How have these people got past me? And so I'm eventually I'm second international and sixth. And then I heard that on the switchbacks, obviously the Nepalese guys know the area really well, so they've just gone straight oh up. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of doing 25K, they've done like 4K or something. Yeah. <laughs> and so the next 20K. <laughs> so the next 25K, yeah. Wait, so which, is the, which is the legit track? So the legit chat was you've got to do this. Okay, so you went the yeah. legit way, and they just yeah, burned yeah. up the hill. They just went straight up the hill, yeah. Which, looking back, if we'd have known about the rain and stuff like that, I probably would have done the same. Yeah. <laughs> but wow. if I would have known that they were doing it, of course we would. But it was just it was just hilarious to see these, like smiling smiling Nepalese guys, like hey, I remember you, you passed me. Uh, but oh. I've got I've got the third medal. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just really funny, but um, but yeah, I mean that was the longest I ran. It was like thirteen hours in the end. You see, those are the stories that are going to make ultra races more appealing to 100%. people. 100%. But We're just thinking the same. But how do you, you have to endure and suffer that and commit to that to then be able to be one of the boys sitting here chatting to us, telling us those stories? Well, then you have to be able to tell it. That's the other thing. I mean, a lot of, I'm guessing that this happens a lot. These, these races go on all the time. Like, there must be a ton of these stories out there, yeah. but no one tells them. Yeah, yeah. Am yeah. I right? I mean, you yeah, totally. Me. Yeah, I mean, you probably heard about a couple of weeks ago, a guy going out for a run somewhere in the states, getting attacked by a mountain lion, and choking it out. Yeah, yeah and choking yeah. it out and exactly. killing it. And uh, you know, that was international news. But uh, there's all sorts of stories. Maybe that's it. what you need to do: go hunting. Yeah, with your bare hands in Thailand. Make up stories. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I had an accident last week, and uh, like 
those people were saying, oh, have you done that? And like, just after a bit, you get asked so many times, like the story gets better and better. Yeah, like, yeah. There's a tiger and there's a bear <laughs> and there's like a crocodile and ah, oh, crocodile, and she got it in a headlock and it's like, crocodile and teeth. And but then <laughs> you just, um, that, yeah, I mean, in the Western States, the most famous race in the world, probably ultra ultra race, there's loads of people being like caught, but they're going along the trail and there's bears there, so they have to just wait until the bear goes up in the tree in order to continue. And okay. um, fires, fires in Australia, and like, yeah, loads of stuff like that. Those are the, that's the platform you need to create and get those stories out. <laughs> yeah, get, be the guy to talk to the people and pull out the stories out of the rest of the endurance athletes. Yeah. Yeah, so start a little podcast. Take it, take it to the start finish line in in the Himalayas. Going, how'd you find that sneaking up the hill there in the middle of the road? Yeah, <laughs> get that, get that <laughs> news out there. Um, but look, thanks for coming to speak to us. We won't take up any more of your time. I know you're only here in Dubai for a short period of time. Where can is there anything you want to finish on? Is there any finishing comments or anything you want to shout out about Ultra and tell people how to get involved in it? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you can run a marathon run like as i said to you before like if you want to get into running start with 5k and build your way up and make it fun so if you've never run before just start with 30 seconds running 30 seconds walking 30 seconds running within doing that for two weeks three times a week all of a sudden you'll be able to run for three minutes and then you'll be able to run five minutes and all of a sudden you can do 5k yeah and if you have any sporting background that's going to come a lot easier to you um and just the, as i said the basics like you know everything is available to you so how do you run you keep sort of your leg in line so that your hip your knee your ankle your toro aligned so that your your body's functioning in its best way um and then all the stuff that comes with the marathon like the nutrition and stuff like that is everything's available online so it's not rocket science so all the information's there for you if you can run a marathon you can run 100k without a doubt like it's just a case of just it's almost identical training. It's just a longer long run, um, <laughs> and um, and and yeah, it's just the so there's, there's great thing about turning up to the World Championships is you know that you're stood next to a guy that is an absolute animal in what he does, and he's a taxi driver in Rome. He's been the World Championship really three yeah. times. Yeah, one of my heroes is Giorgio Calcaterra from Italy. He's won, been a World Champion uh, three times and ran the most times under 6.30, under 6 hours 30 ever, I think. And uh, he's a taxi driver in Rome. That's th that's the sport, that's where it is, yeah? So, um, you know, he doesn't, obviously he's, he's 46 now, he doesn't know what Instagram is, but um, there were, there's now an opportunity not to have to do that job, yeah? Yeah, he's, he's done it and he's got to where he is, which is brilliant. Um, but there, there is other opportunities, and, and uh, in terms of like bring in terms of the, the games and how the bodies are run, we can do better. It's just as simple as that. Like we can hold. I mean, imagine holding the World Championships 100k in Dubai. So simple. The infrastructure is here. The hotels are here. The airports there. Uh, the track would be so easy. There's so much space everywhere. The temperature would be perfect at a certain time in the day. Al Qudra. Yeah. Beautiful. So they do it. So they, so they do it. The cycling. They do hundreds yeah. of kilometers yeah. cycling. Pick the same track. Yeah. And it's you know it's in, in the middle of the world. Yeah. So it's easy for everybody to get to. And they have to shut the roads down in Al Qudra. Yeah. No. No. Which is a huge, a huge issue normally yeah. with the cities that can put it on. It's it's the road closures that kill it. So if you know anybody with a company. In uh, Dubai, it'd be interesting backing this side of thing. <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, you know, well, look, I'll, I'll get my people to speak to your people. <laughs> hey, call the bear. Call the bear. Call the bear. <laughs> Where can people get you on uh, on Instagram and anywhere else on social media? You can get me on jungle.vip. 
Um, and yeah, just go there. Yeah. And what's the next race you're up for? Um, I may do the, I may do the Scottish Championships in March. After that, uh, I've got the Comrades Marathon in June. But I'll do I'll do stuff before that. I'm just trying to figure out what I'm doing next. And then there's the World Championships in September in Romania, 50k. Right. Uh, so I've got the qualifying standard for that. Just need to get picked. There's a few politics involved before then. Sure. And uh, yeah, I'll be, it's, yeah, I I I love what I do and. Um, yeah, every day I wake up happy and doing exactly what I want to do. So Amazing. loving life. Yeah, love that. And lying a duck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, look, Lee, cheers for coming to yeah, speak man, to us. Thank we you very appreciate much. Appreciate it. And uh, next Ch- time you're in town, drop us a line. We'll get Caroline involved and yeah. get Jamie in as well. We Tap me out. We won't replace you. <laughs> we'll, we'll make some room. Cheers, boys. I really cool. appreciate, appreciate it. Appreciate it. See you next time, guys. Thanks a lot. Bye, guys. Yeah.